passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, we have so much to be thankful for, and uh, that's actually what our text this morning talks about. Uh, with Thanksgiving coming up in uh, just a few short weeks, and it's hard to believe that uh, it's almost time to listen to Christmas music, uh, we recognize as a nation the importance of being thankful. But as Christians, we're not supposed to just be thankful one day a year. But in fact, we are called in the Bible, there are many commands for us to be thankful with our entire lives and all that we do that we should give thanks and praise to the Lord. See, as Christians, that, that's our calling, to be thankful in all that we do, that all that we experience, all that we have been given. And we live in a relatively thankful society. The United States is a place that recognizes the value of being thankful, but most of the time that thanksgiving is actually just given into a vacuum. It's given to no one in particular, and people stress the importance of just being thankful. I, I love the way that G.K. Chesterton puts it. Uh, he was a theologian at the turn of the 20th, uh, 19th century, rather, and he said this, The worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude and has no one to thank. For Christians... Praise God that that's not the case, because we are able to thank God for every single thing that we have been given, everything that we have received, because it comes from him. He is the father of all blessings. And what we're going to see this morning is Jonah himself realizes that. You see, this morning we're going to be looking at what it looks like to live a life of thanksgiving. And, and what God does, what we're going to see is what God does actually leads to lives of thanksgiving. If you were to sum up our text this morning in just one short phrase, I think it would be this, that a thankful heart is an outpouring of all that God has done. A thankful heart is an outpouring of all that God has done. You see, as Christians, we live lives of gratitude for what God has done for us on our behalf and what he has given to us. If you were here last week, we began a four-week series on the book of Jonah. We're taking a break from the book of 1 Peter until Pastor Kurt returns. And we started in Jonah chapter 1 last week. And what we saw is that Jonah was running from God. The very beginning of the book of Jonah starts with Jonah running from God. See, God calls Jonah to share the word of God with the people of Nineveh. And Jonah, frankly, doesn't want to have anything to do with the people of Nineveh. And so he heads the other way. And if we're honest, Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with God himself. And so he tries to run away from God's presence. He decides to head to Tarshish, which is a place that is basically on the edge of the known world at that time. Basically the furthest place that he could go to get away from God and to get away from his presence. But on his journey to Tarshish, it becomes clear that Jonah can't get away from God. As far as he runs, as hard as he tries, and as long as he keeps running away from God, he's never going to be able to escape God's presence. And in our lives, that might not sound like good news to us. It might not sound like good news because, frankly, we don't want God nosing around in our business. But what we saw in Jonah chapter 1 is that it is really good news that we can't escape God's presence because where God is, God is able to save. We saw that in Jonah chapter 1 with the sailors. 
The sailors were in desperate need of salvation from the storm, and God saved them because he was with them. The same thing with Jonah. Jonah was in the water, the waves all around him, unable to save himself, and yet God saved him because God was with him, and God was present in that time. See, Jonah wasn't saved, and the sailors weren't saved because they were worthy of being saved. But in fact, God chose to save them in spite of their unworthiness because he is a good and gracious God. This morning, we're going to start in Jonah chapter 2. And one of the things we're going to see in this passage, it's a very similar passage to Jonah chapter 1. It talks about the same themes. It really mentions the same story as we talked about in Jonah chapter 1. But we see this huge, crucial change. And that change takes place in Jonah's heart. See, if you remember last week and how the sailors responded when they were offered salvation, they responded with worship and with thanksgiving. They offered sacrifices and vows. And this morning, we're going to see how Jonah responds in the exact same way. As I mentioned earlier, the, a thankful heart is an overflow of all that God has done for us. And it's true in the lives of the sailors. It's true in Jonah's life. And I pray that it would be true in our lives this morning as well. Maybe this morning you find yourself kind of like Jonah in chapter 1 of this, uh, of this short story. You find yourself running from God. The only reason that you're here is because someone drug you in this morning. You don't really want to have anything to do with him. Maybe this morning you find yourself in the same place that Jonah is. You've decided to stop running from God, but you don't really know where to go from here. And still others of us this morning, maybe by the very grace of God alone, find ourselves close to him. Whatever the case, I believe this text has many things to say to us about how we can continue to cultivate thanksgiving in our lives. You see, Jonah chapter 2 is a song of praise. It's a psalm. It's a, a song of Jonah to God for all that God has done for him. And as we seek to become thankful, it's important for us to study passages like this and see what Jonah is thankful for and how we can apply that to our own lives. As we open this passage, we're going to pull out four different questions that Jonah's psalm answers. And these four questions are going to be important for us in our own lives as we seek to wrestle with what it looks like to be thankful and how we can cultivate thanksgiving in our own lives. But before we do that, I ask you to join me in prayer as we open God's word. God, thank you for the good news. Thank you for the Bible that teaches us about you and it draws us near to you. We pray that your spirit would come and reveal more of who you are to us and that you would come and speak to us. God, that you would be at work in our hearts to make us a thankful people. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Jonah 2, verses 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. The first question that we need to wrestle with as we seek to become more thankful in our lives is, what has God done for me? 
What has God done in my life? What has he done for me? If we open up Jonah chapter 2 and we read this first verse, the first verse kind of gives us an overview of the fact that Jonah is singing a song to God. And the second verse tells us exactly that. Jonah says, you know what? I cried out to God in the midst of my distress and he answered me. He answers Jonah in the darkest time of Jonah's life. Now remember what's going on in Jonah's life at this time. Jonah is stubborn. Jonah is disobedient. He refuses to follow God. God calls him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah decides he's going to head into the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention, and Jonah decides he's going to take a nap. God sends a pagan sailor to go and ask Jonah to pray, and Jonah refuses to do so. And at the end of Jonah chapter 1, we end with Jonah in the water because he would rather die than ask God for forgiveness. See, Jonah is thrown into the raging sea, and he's in the sea all by himself. And he's quickly overcome by that sea, as we see in these verses. And as he begins to sink to the bottom of the ocean, he still refuses to cry out to God. But at some point, we don't know how long it was. It could have been five seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. Jonah finally humbles himself and cries out to God for salvation. He's under millions of tons of water with the sound of the storm all around him. And he begins to cry out to God to save him. And that's just the way God tends to work. See, if you are running from God in your life, oftentimes he uses storms to get your attention. Not always, but sometimes he uses a storm to get your attention. And for some of us, we can relate to Jonah because we find ourselves sinking to the bottom of the ocean just like him, refusing to listen to God. Still continuing to run away from him because we refuse to listen to him. The longer that we run, the easier it is for us to sink deeper and deeper without coming before God, asking for his help, asking for his gracious salvation to come to us. And just like Jonah, we tend to refuse to acknowledge God in those situations. But at some point, Jonah realizes that he needs to be saved. See, up to this point, I think Jonah has this false sense of justice. He thinks that he is going to bear the punishment God has for him because he deserves it and he can handle it. But as he continues to sink, he begins to realize he can't handle it. He can't save himself. And just like the sailors, moments earlier on the boat, he realizes that he is in desperate need of help for someone to come and rescue him. You see, Jonah is sinking fast to the ocean floor. He doesn't know which way is up, which way is down, let alone know how to save himself. And so he opens his mouth and cries out to God, asking God to come and save him. See, Jonah realizes that the only one strong enough to save him is God. Not only that, but he realizes that the only one who is good enough to choose to save him after all that he has done is God. And so he opens his mouth and cries out to the Lord. And if you find yourself sinking this morning because you've been running away from God, I pray you would do the same thing that Jonah does in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, that you would open your mouth and you would cry out to God in the midst of you sinking to the darkest and deepest points of your life, that you would cry out to God at this moment. See, it took Jonah a while to do so. In fact, 
this text gives us a little indication of how long he sunk before he was finally humbled. Notice what he says. He says that he cried out to God from the belly of Sheol. Now, in the Old Testament, we don't have a lot of information about the afterlife. It wasn't until Jesus came uh, and his resurrection that God began to show us what comes next. In the Old Testament, we just have a faint picture of what comes after life. And one of the things they believed in was this concept called Sheol. And Sheol was basically the place where all the dead people were. So what Jonah is saying here is he's saying, I was on the verge of death and God saved me. Right in the midst of the worst moment of Jonah's life, God chose to save him. What did Jonah do for him? Or what did God do for Jonah? When Jonah had nowhere else to turn, God chose to save him. And this understanding that God has answered Jonah's cry in the midst of Jonah's unworthiness is crucial for Jonah's understanding of thanksgiving. That's why he starts this song, this hymn of thanksgiving, by talking about what God has done for him. So what about you? What has God done for you? As Christians, obviously one of the most important and the most important thing that God has done for us is offer us salvation through Jesus. It's the most important thing, the primary reason for us to give thanks as Christians. And over the past week, as I was preparing for it this morning, I looked at a number of different testimonies of people who had uh, converted to Christianity, and I read some incredible, wonderful stories of God's gracious provision of salvation for people. I, I saw stories of uh, murderers becoming pastors, of drug addicts becoming church planners, of terrorists starting and leading ministries for the glory of God's gospel. And I looked at some of those and I thought to myself, those stories are absolutely incredible. And maybe this morning you find yourself in a very similar situation. That God saved you from something as extreme as a drug addict. But for many of us here, that's not the case. For many of us, we can't remember a time when we weren't a Christian. Sure, we might have had a few wild years in our high school and college days, but... It wasn't all that earth-shattering. There wasn't a time when I didn't consider myself a Christian, is what some of you may be saying. We begin to see that there are kind of, we, we tend to think that there are two types of, of testimonies of God at work in conversions. And we have the, the miraculous ones and the ones that are less miraculous. I hate those phrases because the more I studied different testimonies, the more I studied this passage, I realized that there's, no such thing as a more miraculous story of salvation because every single time that God saves someone, it is miraculous. Every time God brings someone who is dead to life, it is miraculous. We shouldn't expect anyone on the face of the planet to be saved. And yet God does so because we worship a good, gracious, and holy God. See, all of humanity at one point in our lives has found ourselves in the same situation that Jonah is at the end of verse 2. We are on the verge of death, unable to save ourselves, and unfortunately for most of humanity, unwilling to cry out and ask for salvation. And if that's you, if you find yourself in that deepest, darkest pit in your life, do what Jonah does. Cry out for salvation because God will answer us. 
And God will hear us. What has God done for you? How has God saved you? And are you thankful for it? See, there's a difference between gratitude and thanksgiving in our lives. It's easy for us to be uh, grateful, and it's tough for us to be thankful because gratitude is just something you feel, but thanksgiving is something that you do. Are you thankful for the fact that God has saved you, that God has been at work and done great things in your life? If we don't recognize our salvation as miraculous, we have a tendency to not recognize or not be as thankful for the fact that God has given us that salvation. I think there are really two different reasons why. The first reason is that we uh, cognitively recognize that God has saved us, but we don't really recognize it, don't really believe it in our hearts. We tend to think, yeah, God saved me, but let's be honest, I was doing pretty good on my own. I was able to take care of myself. I met him 50% of the way there. I wasn't sinking to the bottom of the ocean floor. I was just floundering in the deep end of the pool. If we don't think our salvation was miraculous, then we have a tendency not to be thankful for it. And the second reason, or second way that we can not be thankful for our salvation is we just tend to forget it. We have a tendency to forget. We are prone to forget as humans. We forget what God has done. And that's why Jonah starts this section by reminding himself and in a way encouraging us to remember how God has saved us. What has God done for you? Now, when Jonah is referring to this, he's obviously talking about salvation, but that's not the only thing that God has done for us. It's not the only thing that God has given us. God has showered innumerable blessings upon us, and we should be thankful and remember those things as well. The day-to-day victories that God has given us, the way God is at work in our lives even now, making us more like him What has God done in your life? It's a crucial question for you to answer and wrestle with because it serves as the foundation for everything that we do as thankful Christians. So that's the first question. Second question is this. What were things like before God? What were things like before God came into your life and began to get to work? Let's take a look at Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 3, to see about Jonah's life. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. You see, at the beginning of this section, Jonah realizes who is in charge. The sailors may have been the ones who threw him overboard, but it was God who had a plan and was the one who was at work in Jonah being in the water. And this is really important for Jonah to realize in his life because he's finally beginning to see the importance of recognizing that it's his own disobedience that has him in this place. Up to this point, Jonah has refused to repent. He may have recognized that uh, he was kind of the one who was uh, at fault for the storm. He recognizes that when he uh, admits to the sailors that they need to throw him overboard to save the ship. But up to this point, Jonah has refused to repent. He's refused to ask for forgiveness. And if you wonder what the word repent means, if it's just a Christian word that you don't really understand, it really just means, it's a really simple word, it just means to turn around. 
if you're headed down the wrong path of life and you need to repent, you just stop and turn around. In Jonah's life, he was running from God, running as far away from God as he possibly could. And God tells Jonah to repent, to stop, to turn around, to come back to him. You see, in in verse 4, we see this repentance in Jonah's heart. Because in verse 4, Jonah mentions the presence of the Lord. And if you were with us last week, you saw that we talked about the fact that Jonah is trying to flee God's presence. He's trying to get as far away from it as possible. And yet, in verse 4, he says, you know, I've finally gotten to that place as I'm sinking in the water. I've finally gotten to that place where I can't sense God's presence. And all I feel is despair. I cry out to God and he doesn't hear me. But at the same time that he doesn't feel God's presence, there is hope. Because in the midst of this despair, he says, you know, I will look again on God's holy temple. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God himself lived. And the thing that gets Jonah through this dark time as he is sinking is thinking about Being with God. He's realized that God's presence isn't something to be run, to run away from, but rather it is something to run to. And he longs for it and it gives him hope in the midst of sinking. I love the way that Jonah describes his situation here. I'm going to reread these verses and just listen and close your eyes and, and listen slowly to the picture that Jonah paints of his situation. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. We mentioned that last week that Jonah was running away from the presence of the Lord, but one of the things we didn't realize or didn't mention because we didn't have enough time was that while Jonah was running away from God's presence, at the same time, he was actually running down. He was going down from God's presence. Let me explain that. Now, Jerusalem was the place where the temple was at, and Jerusalem was located on a mountain. And so the people of Israel, in a way, thought that God dwelt on this mountain. If you were going to go away from God's presence, then you would go down off of the mountain. And so how does the book start in Jonah chapter 1? It says, Jonah went down to Joppa. A little bit later, it says in the middle of the storm that Jonah went down below deck to escape God's presence. Then at the end of Jonah chapter 1, Jonah goes down from the ship into the waters. And in these verses I just read, Jonah is now sinking down to the very bottom of the ocean floor. What the author is trying to tell us is that Jonah has finally gotten to that place where God doesn't dwell if there's a place that exists like that. He's finally gotten to the place that is furthest from God as he has continued to descend away from God's presence. 
continues to get further away from God as he is running away from him. And yet in the midst of this dark, deep spot, he cries out to God and there is hope because he longs for God's presence. And maybe you find yourself there this morning in the same situation that Jonah is in. See, the same language that Jonah uses here to describe his very literal situation is language that's used throughout the Psalms to refer to our life situations. Maybe you aren't drowning, but it sure feels like it. Maybe you feel like the weeds are wrapped around your head. That there is no hope. That this is the darkest time of your life. Or maybe you are thinking back over the last few months or few weeks or or 10 years ago. And you're saying, you know, I still remember that vividly today. It was the darkest moment of my life. I needed God to save me from that. And so these verses beg the question of us, what has God rescued us from? What was our situation like before God came in and saved us? Maybe you were in the pit of despair, thinking that there was no hope for you. But I encourage you, just as Jonah found hope in God's presence, that you also would find hope in God's presence. What situation has God saved you from? It's important for us to remember what things were once like before God came in because they make us more thankful. As we seek to become thankful in our lives, let us remember not only where we are now, but also where we once were. And the great change that God has enacted in our lives will lead to thanksgiving. And that's the second question. Third question is this. How has God rescued me? How has God rescued me? It's important for us to not only focus on what God has done, not only on what God has rescued us from, but also how God did it. Let's take a look at verses 6 through 8. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. See, when Jonah is at his lowest point, when he thinks that there is no hope of salvation, God steps in and rescues him in the midst of his darkest moment. You see, it's here that Jonah saw hope, and it was here that Jonah was given life. And it's at this point that Jonah realizes that nowhere is too far for God. Nowhere is too far from God. There isn't a grain of sand in the entire universe that is outside of God's presence, let alone you and me. If you don't feel like God is there for you, I encourage you to latch on to the words that Jonah has here because God is present in the midst of your darkest moments of life And as we saw last week, this is truly good news because even at the gates of death like Jonah was at, God can still save us and God will save us. It's here that God answers Jonah's prayer and it's here that Jonah is in the greatest need for salvation and God graciously offers him that salvation. You see, Jonah recognizes or mentions something that's really important for us to recognize in verse 8. And he says that only God is able to save us. Now that might sound pretty, um, pretty natural for me to say in the church and something that you would expect. 
but it's crucial for us to understand. See, Jonah tells us that idols can't save us. Only God is able to save us. This was true on the boat. The sailors in Jonah chapter 1 were crying out to their idols, praying that their gods would save them, and they didn't because only God could save them from the storm. It was true in Jonah's life as well. Even though Jonah claimed that he was worshiping the God of the Hebrews, that he worshiped the God of the heavens and the earth, his life spoke otherwise. He really worshiped his own ability to please God, his own ability to save himself. And yet in the midst of the waters, as as water is crashing down all around him, he realizes that he can't save himself. Only God is able to save him. And it's true in our lives today too. You see, we have a tendency to trust in idols as well. For some of us, it is the idol of approval of others. We think that as long as, or once we get to that point where everyone else thinks well of us, then we'll be justified. Or for others of us, it's financial security. We say, as soon as I get such amount of money in my bank account, then I'll be able to provide and take care of myself. Idolatry is not an ancient problem. It is a human problem. And the idols of our day, just like the idols of Jonah's day, can't save us. Only God can. So how has God saved you? What did God do to save you? In Jonah's situation, God saved him through a fish while he was on the bottom of the sea. In our situation, it was through a man hung on a tree. See, when we look to the cross of Christ and see how God has saved us through his sacrificial, substitutionary death on our behalf, it inspires awe, it inspires wonder, it inspires worship and thanksgiving. Look to the cross. Remember how God has saved you and be thankful for it. And the final question that this passage has us ask is this, how will I respond? How will I respond to the ways that God is at work in our lives? Let's take a look at Jonah chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You see, for Jonah, he responds with sacrifices and vows. In other words, he responds with worship, with the sacrifices, and he responds with obedience to God's original calling on his life. In our lives, we should respond in the exact same way. We should respond with sacrifices and vows. We should respond in worship and giving God thanksgiving with our lips, but also with vows that we should live in lives of thanksgiving in the way that God has created us as a part of his new creation to live. It's what we see in Jonah's life. It's what we saw last week in the lives of these sailors. These exact same words. After God saved them from the storm, they responded in offering sacrifices and vows to God. They responded in worship and obedience to God's calling on their lives. And so how about you? How will you respond to God's working in your lives, to all that God has done for you? Will you respond like Jonah in Jonah chapter 1? Or will you respond like Jonah in Jonah chapter 2? Those are the only two options for us.
God has given us salvation. Are we going to respond to that salvation in thanksgiving, in worship, in obedience to God's calling? Or are we going to respond to it by continuing to run away from him? A continued stubbornness to refuse to follow God's commands. The choice is ours. And Jonah shows us very clearly in this passage the way that we should go. You see, a thankful heart is an outpouring of all that God has done for us. It was true in the lives of the sailors. We saw it last week in the lives of the sailors. We saw it this week in the life of Jonah. And shouldn't the world around us see it in our lives? That our lives are an outpouring of thanksgiving because of all that God has done for us. Because his salvation is leads to thanksgiving. You see, as we seek to become more thankful in our lives, it's important for us to wrestle through these questions because they serve as the skeleton for thankfulness in our lives. We have to wrestle through what God has done for us, what God has saved us from, how God has saved us, and how we will respond in our lives. Because we respond obediently, with thanksgiving. You see, why should we be thankful? We should be thankful because the God we worship is worthy of worship. He's a God who gives grace to his people. Last week we saw that God offers grace to his people in spite of their stubborn rebellion. It's true in Jonah's life. It's true in our lives. So let's respond in worship and in thanksgiving. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives, the ways that you are still active even now. God, we thank you for saving us, for rescuing us from the bottom of the ocean floor. Even when we were so unworthy of that salvation. God, help us to be thankful. Help us to remember what you have saved us from and help us to look upon the cross of Christ and respond in worship and to respond in thanksgiving for all that you've done. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.